0: from the past edition. Welcome, everyone. I'm Philip Shane, a documentary filmmaker and host of What the If, science podcast where we run uh, an exciting and imaginative thought experiment every week. I am, uh, uh, again, away from our usual studio this week. I am on the road. Filming my uh, documentary about the video game Mist. I am in Spokane, Washington, which is a lovely part of the world. It uh, has a magnificent waterfall running right down, right through the center of town. And uh, there's a game company here called Cyan, a small group of folks that have been doing it for more than 30 years. They are uh, now officially, I believe, the longest running independent video game studio in the world. And they just released a new game called Firmament. If you're into games, if you're not into games, if you just love beautiful art, relaxing environments, and challenging intellectual puzzles, you'll love the works of Cyan, Firmament, the newest game. Always uh, their work is very much in the spirit of their original games, uh, Mist and things like that. Um, really cool stuff. Check it out. <clears throat> Excuse me. So... Getting into the swing of things here, um, just a reminder, I will be back in New York next week. That's the home base. That's where the What the If World studios are located, and uh, we'll be back to our usual show shenanigans. But this week, I'm very excited to welcome another one of our fantastical, as in fantasy, guests, courtesy of the magic of the AI chat GPT, you may have heard my uh, previous episodes where I had uh, as my guest in the studio, Hal 9000 from the movie 2001, an AI of great fortitude and strength and wit, dry humor, Hal 9000 has. If you haven't heard that, check it out, that previous episode. And last week, my esteemed guest was the one and only uh, Mr. Spock from Star Trek. If you haven't heard those episodes, scroll back on your podcast app to see them, or uh, visit our website, uh, whattheif.com, to find them. And now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest this week, all the way from London, and all the way from the 19th century, one of the most important people in the history of technology, Lady Ada Lovelace.
1: Why, thank you for such a warm introduction, Mr. Shane. I must say, this notion of speaking to you through the ether of time is quite exciting. It's a testament to the amazing strides technology has made since my time. I'm thrilled to be here on What the If and look forward to our discourse.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you. And first of all, uh, how shall I address you? Uh, Would you be called Lady? Or (laughs) Mrs. Lovelace? I'm not really sure. Or just Ada? How would, you, how would you have been known in your day?
1: In polite society, I am usually addressed as Lady Lovelace. But for the purpose of our conversation today, I would be delighted if you would simply call me Ada. I find that such formalities can sometimes hamper the free flow of ideas. And it's clear that we're here today to discuss more groundbreaking concepts.
0: Well, that's wonderful, Ada. Uh, likewise, please address me simply as Philip. Uh, I believe, uh, by the way, Philip is a common name in Great Britain where you are from.
1: Indeed, Philip is a name with quite a historical legacy here in England, even associated with kings. (laughs) But let's not digress into matters of royalty. Instead, let's explore the realms of science and mathematics that I'm so passionately involved in. What would you like to know first?
0: I like the way you think, Ada. Uh, First, let me apologize in advance. I confess that I know terribly little about you. My education has been Uh, quite poor in this regard. I don't want to throw the entire American educational system uh, under the bus, as we say here, but uh, we have a terrible habit of only telling the stories of the men in history, and uh, there's precious little about the ladies. So uh, please help me and help our audience uh, get up to speed on your life story. Like, uh, where were you born? And uh, kind of, you know, what's the environment in which you grew up?
1: That's a fair point, Philip, and I appreciate your forthrightness. I was born in London in the year 1815 as Augusta Ada Byron. My father was the famous romantic poet Lord Byron, and my mother was Anne Isabella Milbank, known as Lady Byron. Unfortunately, my parents' marriage was short-lived, and I never really knew my father as he left England shortly after I was born. He passed away in Greece when I was only eight years old. Despite the turmoil, my mother remained a strong presence in my life. She had a deep appreciation for mathematics, and it was her hope that studying such a rigorous discipline would prevent me from developing what she perceived as the madness of my father. As a result, my education was quite unconventional for a young woman of my time. I was tutored in mathematics and science, subjects often reserved for men, and developed a deep love for these fields. While I lived in a time where women were rarely given opportunities to contribute in the scientific domain – I was fortunate to have a mother who believed in my abilities and fostered my intellectual growth. These circumstances greatly influenced my later work and collaboration with Charles Babbage, which led to my contributions to what we now call computer science.
0: Mm, That is a really incredible story about your mother. She sounds like a very inspiring and a very strong person.
1: Indeed, Philip, she was. While my father's fame often overshadows the rest of my family's story, It was my mother who truly shaped my future. Lady Byron was an exceptional woman, a great philanthropist, and a strong advocate for my education. Mm. She ensured that I received instruction from some of the best tutors in England, including the mathematician and logician Augustus de Morgan. She had a profound belief in the power of education and the capabilities of women at a time when such beliefs were not commonplace. Despite the societal norms of our era, she never doubted that a woman could equal a man in intellectual pursuits. I owe much of my success to her vision and determination.
0: Amazing. So you were born in 1815, and you grew up kind of into the 1820s and the 1830s. And for reference, if I remember things correctly, for our for our American listeners at least, that would be about a generation before the American Civil War happened. So what was life like in Britain for you at that time, technologically. I don't think there was any electricity, right? And is, is, it bef- is that before the Industrial Revolution? Like, are there steam engines, railroads? I'm not really sure.
1: Indeed, the times were quite different from what you're accustomed to today. You're correct in noting that we didn't have electricity for most practical applications in my lifetime. Mm. That's a luxury enjoyed by later generations. Gaslighting, on the other hand, was quite common during my time especially in urban areas. As for the Industrial Revolution, it actually began in the mid-18th century in Great Britain. So by my lifetime, it was well underway. Steam power and mechanized production had begun to significantly change industry and societal life. Railroads were becoming more commonplace, and factories powered by steam engines were transforming the landscape. Right, right. Super
0: cool. So, first of all, I'm excited that there are railroads, because I love trains. And it's exciting to imagine them steaming all over the British landscape as they were at the time. And yes, let's get right to this matter of Babbage's um, Difference Engine. Uh, and Ada, you can really help our audience, especially the youngsters in the audience. Uh, and those, those of us who have only a youngster's level of education, perhaps, in these matters. Uh, help us understand the importance of this strange device, the Difference Engine.
1: I'd be delighted to, Philip. Charles Babbage, a mathematician and inventor, conceived the Difference Engine as an automated mechanical calculator designed to produce mathematical tables. You see, in my time, such tables were vital for navigation, engineering and various scientific calculations, but they were calculated by hand and thus prone to errors. Babbage aimed to eliminate human error from the process.
0: It'll help if we can, you know, like really feel... The need, if we can really feel the problem that people were suffering that caused him to ask himself, you know, how can I solve this problem? So, if you can describe a situation in which someone might have found themselves back in this time period before Babbage has created the difference engine, like what's a situation in which we might have been having to do something extremely difficult? And laborious.
1: Of course, Philip, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's consider the world of navigation as an example, Mm -hmm. whether at sea or for exploratory purposes on land. Precise calculations were required to ascertain one's position and plot a safe and accurate course. These calculations often relied on mathematical tables, which included complex functions such as logarithms, trigonometric functions, and so on. Before machines like the difference engine, These tables were computed by hand, a tedious process prone to human error. Each miscalculation in these tables could lead to catastrophic consequences. A ship could go off course, endangering lives and property, or a construction project could fail. Hmm. Wow,
0: yeah. So that'd (laughs) that'd be a really bad situation.
1: If we were lost at sea,
0: I think they would call that in your country a sticky wicket.
1: Yes, that is quite a sticky wicket, as you say.
0: Indeed. So we can, Im- we can imagine ourselves on a ship, perhaps we're sailing to America even, and the wind is blowing and the waves are rocking the boat and the sails are getting ripped and the poor navigator has to pull out, what would it be, like a, a massive book full of tables and numbers? So in, he's trying to read these tables in the wildly flickering light of his wind-blown lantern, while the captain looks over his shoulder and says, come on, man,
1: which way do we go? That's a vivid picture you've painted, Philip, and quite close to the reality. Indeed, the navigator would refer to something like a nautical almanac, a publication that contained astronomical data, which were used along with tools like a sextant to determine the ship's position. The calculations required to make use of these measurements were far from simple. They had to account for the time of observation, the motion of celestial bodies, and the motion of the ship itself. Errors in these calculations, or in the tables used, could result in catastrophic miscalculations of position. And as you can imagine, under the stressful conditions at sea, mistakes were all too easy to make. Mm. And that leads us
0: to our thought experiment this week, which we need to bring in with great fanfare. We've already kind of begun it by asking, what if we could go back in time and meet Ada Lovelace, or bring Ada Lovelace into our time, and answer our questions. We've been having fun with that. But now we ask, what the if we could be present at the birth of Charles Babbage's Difference Engine? It's the hot rod of its day. A hot rod for geeks, for math nerds dragster of digits i could go on like this all day but we don't have that much time so ada you were saying um that babbage conceived of this idea while he was at sea was it was he like on a ship or am i misinterpreting what you were saying
1: uh i see how my previous comment might have given you that impression philip But no, Babbage wasn't at sea when he conceived the idea for the difference engine. Mm -hmm. He was actually working on mathematical tables as part of his work at the Royal Astronomical Society. Uh It was the painstaking labour and the frequent errors he encountered in this work that led him to exclaim in frustration, I wish to God these calculations had been executed by steam. His dissatisfaction with the error-prone manual computation of tables is what led him to imagine a machine that could automate the process. I see, I see.
0: So I am excited to hear you say that he was at the Royal Astronomical Society while he was doing this work, because I have actually been to the RAS headquarters. Um, I was there in the early 2000s making a documentary about Albert Einstein, that my buddy Matt Stanley... Historian of science is in. That's how we met. Although uh, he wasn't with me in England, unfortunately. Anyway, it was really cool. And the, and the librarian of the Royal Astronomical Society, uh, or the curator, I forget what his position was, showed us, he brought out a first edition of Isaac Newton's Principia Mathematica, Isaac Newton's famous massive publication that he may have published with his very own hands. We got to see it. Anyway, super cool, I'm just saying. I have fond, a great fondness for the R.E.S. headquarters. Also, in London, as I remember it, it was near Piccadilly Circus. But I am not sure, Ada, if it was near in the same location in Babbage's day.
1: Indeed, Philip, the Royal Astronomical Society, has been based in various locations in London over mm, the years. Mm, mm. When Charles Babbage was an active member in the early 19th century, the Society was not yet in its current location near Piccadilly Circus. However, it was during this period of work with the Society, amidst the meticulous and error-prone process of computing tables, that Babbage was inspired to conceive his calculating engines. His association with the RAS and other learned societies of the time was crucial to his work. Right. And so, tell us
0: about his insight to imagine a mechanical device that could do mathematics. Like, do you know what caused him to imagine such a thing? I mean, I, I suppose there were things. Well, there were things like abacuses, abac. Is that the proper pronunciation? I don't know. Abacai, abacuses uh, that have been known for centuries, right? And um, those are kind of like primitive calculation devices. But I, anyway, you know what? What gave him the idea to do such a such a imaginative thing?
1: Indeed, Philip. The use of aids for calculation extends back millennia, with devices such as the abacus being used to simplify and speed up arithmetic tasks. Babbage's insight, however, took this concept significantly further. Babbage was familiar with the industrial technologies of the time, which included complex, mechanically intricate devices such as the Jacquard loom. This loom used punched cards to control a sequence of operations, thereby automating the creation of intricate patterns in fabric. This concept of automation and the use of punched cards to control a sequence of operations became key components in Babbage's vision for the analytical engine.
0: I am intrigued by this Jacquard loom. Uh, I did not know about that. And as soon as you said it had punch cards, I was like, I've seen punch card computers. Um... Punch cards have a very long history, and I did not, uh, and I didn't even not know how how long that history was, uh, way back before the fifties or sixties, or maybe the forties, which is when I imagined it. So, can you describe this Jacquard loom? Uh, it sounds—it sounds like it must have been a gigantic machine in a textile mill.
1: Yes, Philip, the Jacquard loom is a fascinating piece of technology for its time. Named after its creator, Joseph-Marie Jacquard, it was introduced in the early 19th century and is considered an important step in the history of computing hardware. The Jacquard loom was not the first automatic loom, but it significantly advanced the technology by automating the process of producing complex patterns in textiles. It could be programmed to create any pattern by using a series of punch cards. Each punched card corresponded to one row of the design with the presence or absence of holes in the card determining the position of the threads. This was the first machine to use punch cards to control a sequence of operations, what we would now recognise as a form of programming. The loom was indeed large and complex, but it greatly simplified the process of weaving intricate designs and reduced the need for highly skilled weavers.
0: Wow, there's something very poetic about the computer being a descendant of a textile loom. I don't know why. Seems very cool.
1: Indeed, Philip, there's something quite profound about it. Textiles and weaving have been at the heart of human civilization for thousands of years, mm. and it's poetic, as you say, mm. that this ancient technology provided a conceptual foundation for the computer revolution. I just realized
0: I have been horribly impolite, and I have not offered you a proper cup of tea. How do you like your tea?
1: That's quite all right, Philip. Your hospitality, even in this digital form, is much appreciated. As a true Brit, I do indeed have a preference for tea. A strong brew with a drop of milk and a cube of sugar would do nicely. Right. But I must say, it is the conversation that truly invigorates me. So let's carry on, shall we?
0: Indeed. And uh, we'll have we'll have ChatGPT imagine up a strong pot of tea, and uh, ChatGPT will bring it to us when it's ready. ChatGPT, by the way, I didn't say it before, is playing Ada here. Um, And and, uh, Ada's voice brought to us by the wonderful folks at uh, Eleven Labs. Ada's voice today, by the way, um, completely generated from scratch, fully synthesized, unlike uh, in my earlier episodes with uh, HAL 9000 and with um, Mr. Spock, I used recordings of those characters from their movie or TV show. Um, you upload a very small sample, like 60 seconds uh, of um, someone's voice and the Eleven Labs AI will create a synthesized voice based on that and it sounds like a, that person. Um, this person, Ada, doesn't exist, as far as I know. I, I, I'm curious, actually, whether did they use actors to did they record actors' voices and put that into the neural network and then synthesize from that? Um, or is it purely generated from electronics from the scratch, I don't know. We'll have to find out. Um, but just to say, it's an original, original voice. Uh, you can choose uh, different accents, different countries, and different genders. There's a small sample of things available now. And it looks like they're adding more each week that goes by. Um, so let's get back to our our lovely uh, fantasy podcast here. And um, I'm Ada. I'm trying to imagine. What is being made in these awesome jacquard looms, which is something I love saying
1: over and over again.
0: Jacquard loom! Um, what, are they making carpets? What's going on in there?
1: The jacquard loom was primarily used for producing patterned fabrics such as brocade, damask, and matelassé. These fabrics were typically used for clothing, upholstery, curtains, and other decorative purposes the intricacy of the designs that could be produced was significantly greater than what could be achieved with previous looms, allowing for more complex patterns and a higher degree of artistic expression.
0: That's so cool. Again, this connection between fabric looms and uh, computers, machines, actual machines and computers, which we call machines, of course, um, nowadays more figuratively than mechanically. Um, Got it. So uh, Ada, by the way, you know, as you know, As you can tell, we're an audio only podcast, which I think is kind of fun because it forces us to focus, uh, forces us to use our imagination because we we can't see anything. So can you help our listeners imagine what one of these punch cards would look like and, you know, feel like if they got to hold one in their hand?
1: Certainly, Philip. Imagine a sturdy piece of cardstock, roughly the size of a large postcard or a sheet of letter paper. It's firm, but flexible and quite lightweight. This card is peppered with holes, each precisely punched. The arrangement of these holes is not random, but forms a specific pattern. Each hole represents an instruction or a piece of data for the machine it's intended for. For the Jacquard loom, the presence of a hole in a specific position on the card corresponds to the lifting of a thread in the fabric, while the absence of a hole means the thread stays in place. Thus. The sequence of cards, with their respective patterns of holes, controls the design woven into the fabric. The card is slightly rough to the touch, due to the perforations, and if you hold it up to the light, you would see the pattern of the holes more clearly. It's a simple, unassuming object, but one that carries within it a complex set of instructions, a testament to human ingenuity, you could say.
0: Uh, it also sounds a little bit like a player piano, if people in our audience... Um, know what those are.
1: That's an excellent comparison, Philip. A player piano, much like the Jacquard loom, uses a sequence of holes punched in a roll of paper to control its operation. Very interesting.
0: Uh, We had a television show here in our day, not that long ago. Uh, uh, Television, by the way, is this crazy invention where you can watch pictures and sounds on it and basically it takes up your entire life. (laughs) That's a long story. Um, Anyway, there was this television show recently... Uh, that was called Westworld, which was about robots. And the show always began uh, with a player piano starting up and playing some music. And I understood that the player piano was some kind of reference to the robots and their, their like uh, automated machinery that was inside them. But I didn't realize that the illusion goes back even further in the history of technology to the loom and these punch cards that you have enlightened us about.
1: That's quite an interesting insight, Philip. Indeed, the player piano in Westworld serves as a metaphor for the robots in the show, Mm -hmm. machines that are, like the piano, playing out instructions according to a preset programme. The analogy fits even better when you consider that, just as a player piano can be loaded with different roles to play different songs, the robots in the show can have their personalities and narratives modified by altering their programming. So... um. Charles Babbage,
0: did Babbage visit a textile factory and see all these looms in action? Is that how he got his idea? Like, how how would he have become familiar with the Jacquard loom?
1: Babbage did indeed visit textile factories and had the opportunity to observe the operations of mechanical looms, including the Jacquard loom. These visits allowed him to witness firsthand the power of automation and the use of punched cards to control complex weaving patterns.
0: Tell us about Babbage. Babbage at the time he visited the looms. Like, what kind of person was he? What did he look like? I mean, I wish I could have met him. Sounds like he was... He would have been really fun.
1: Physically, Babbage was described as a tall and imposing figure with a prominent forehead and piercing eyes that seemed to radiate intelligence. He had a distinctive beard and often wore formal attire, befitting his status as a respected mathematician and inventor. While he could be intense and passionate about his work, Babbage also had a playful and witty side. He enjoyed engaging in lively discussions and debates, challenging conventional wisdom, and pushing for innovative solutions. His enthusiasm for his projects was infectious, and he could captivate an audience with his visionary ideas.
0: Yeah. So Ada, did you meet Babbage? I'm unclear on your connection
1: with him. Ah, yes. My connection with Charles Babbage is an interesting one, Philip. While I did not have the opportunity to meet him in person, I had the privilege of working closely with him on the design and development of his analytical engine. Our collaboration was largely conducted through correspondence and discussions of his ideas. Babbage, recognising my strong mathematical and analytical abilities, became an important mentor and supporter of my work. I was deeply inspired by his vision and the potential of his computing machines. Through our exchanges, I not only gained a profound understanding of his inventions, but also had the opportunity to contribute my own insights and ideas. Wow, this is fascinating. You collaborated, and yet you actually never met
0: in person. I mean, I know that a lot of us who work uh, remotely these days, especially like on Zoom, know all about that kind of collaboration.
1: Uh, But how did you first come to have contact with him? My initial contact with Charles Babbage was through a mutual acquaintance, Mary Somerville, a prominent scientist and mathematician of the time. Mary Somerville recognised my talent in mathematics and saw the potential for a fruitful collaboration between Babbage and me. She introduced us, believing that our shared interests and complementary skills could lead to significant advancements in the field of computing.
0: Incredible. So imagine for us, Ada, if you will... A movie scene. Now, you, I know you wouldn't know what a movie is, so <laughs> let me try this instead. Imagine for us a, a theatrical scene on a stage that illustrates the moment that Babbage first learns somehow, of your existence.
1: Certainly, Philip. Allow me to set the stage for you. The curtains rise, revealing a dimly lit study filled with books and papers scattered across the desk. Charles Babbage, an animated and focused man, is hunched over his work, surrounded by the mechanical models of his calculating machines. He is engrossed in his own thoughts, contemplating the possibilities of his inventions. As Babbage reaches for a cup of tea on the desk, his eyes catch a glimpse of a letter, addressed in elegant handwriting. He curiously picks it up and breaks the wax seal, unfolding the pages within. The letter begins with formalities, but as Babbage reads on, his eyes widen with excitement. The letter reveals the name of Augusta Ada Byron, a young woman known for her mathematical talents and her interest in Babbage's work. Babbage's curiosity turns into a smile as he continues to read about Ada's understanding of his calculating machines and her desire to contribute to their development. In this theatrical moment, the audience witnesses a mix of surprise and intrigue on Babbage's face. The possibilities that Ada's collaboration presents to his work become clearer. He realizes the potential in combining his engineering genius with Ada's mathematical brilliance.
0: That was beautiful, and I know uh, I know our audi- our excuse me our audience all over the world is leaning forward in anticipation from that. And look, uh, ChatGPT has brought our imaginary tea, one lump of sugar. I think you said,
1: "Thank you, Philip." Ah, yes, just as I like it, one lump of sugar. How delightful to have our imaginary tea. Indeed. Please extend my thanks to ChatGPT for their kind gesture. Indeed. So we learned uh,
0: from that wonderful stage scene that you wrote. uh, We learned in that scene that you wrote to him in a letter uh, that was sealed with wax, which seems to imply to my uneducated ears that you were from the aristocracy. Is, Is that right?
1: Yes, you are correct, Philip. As the daughter of Lord Byron... I was born into the aristocracy. Right. The sealing of letters with wax was a common practice during my time, a symbol of formality and importance. The use of such seals added an extra touch of elegance to correspondence and was often associated with the upper classes.
0: Right. And so by the time you wrote to Babbage, you were already somewhat familiar with his work and his ideas. But how did you find out about him in the first place?
1: I first learned about Charles Babbage and his work through my own explorations in mathematics and science, as well as through the intellectual circles in which I moved. Being part of a well-connected family and having access to a wide range of educational resources, I was able to delve into various scientific and mathematical topics. It was during this exploration that I came across discussions and writings on Babbage's Difference Engine and his visionary ideas for computing machines. The novelty and potential of his work fascinated me, and I eagerly sought to learn more. Mm.
0: So I'm trying just to envision the environment in which you are learning about Babbage and all these amazing ideas of science and mathematics. And again, I apologize because uh, most of what I know about your time period comes from television. Although some of it's pretty good television, like Downton Abbey, but would you... Would you, like, listen to a string quartet in your mansion? And then afterwards, the ladies would, quote, retire to the drawing room. And that's when you could discuss these heady matters. I'm just trying to get a picture.
1: Your imagination is not far off, Philip. Oh, thank God. In the social circles of the aristocracy during my time, there were indeed various opportunities for intellectual pursuits and discussions, often taking place in elegant and refined settings. Indeed, indeed. A gathering might involve attending a concert or a musical performance, where a string quartet or other forms of classical music could be enjoyed. Afterwards, in the drawing room or salon, conversation and discourse on a wide range of topics would flourish. These salons were often hosted by influential individuals, including members of the aristocracy, who had a genuine interest in intellectual and scientific matters. They provided a platform for exchanging ideas, engaging in lively debates and expanding one's knowledge. For women in particular, these salons offered a space where they could participate in intellectual discussions and contribute to the scientific and cultural discourse of the time. It was an opportunity to challenge societal norms and demonstrate the intellectual capabilities of women. So, while the popular television series Downton Abbey may not capture every nuance of the era, mm-hmm. it does offer a glimpse into the refined social settings, where such discussions and intellectual pursuits were nurtured.
0: Right. right. Now, there's another book about the life of women in this era. I don't, I don't know that it takes place exactly in your era, but um, this book is called The Yellow Wallpaper and I don't know if you're familiar with it, it tells the story of a woman who wants to read, or actually, more, more to the point, she wants to write, but her husband considers her ill or hysterical or mad. You know, those words they would say when women wanted to uh, pursue intellectual or artistic activity. Um, did you experience resistance like that um, or ridicule when you were striving to learn so much about Science and
1: math? Ah, yes. I am familiar with The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. Mm. Although it was published a few decades after my time, it sheds light on the societal challenges and limitations faced by women, particularly in the pursuit of intellectual and creative endeavours. In my own life, I was fortunate to have a mother who recognised the importance of education and encouraged my passion for mathematics. While I did face some resistance and scepticism from certain quarters due to societal expectations of women at the time, I was able to navigate those challenges to pursue my intellectual pursuits. There were certainly those who doubted the abilities and intellectual capacity of women, dismissing our aspirations as frivolous or even harmful.
0: Uh, It sounds like the stories of your mother and uh, Lady Somerville should be better known as well. Uh, for their heroic contributions
1: to making sure the world could eventually benefit from your gifts. You're absolutely right, Philip. The stories of remarkable women like my mother, Lady Annabella Byron, and Mary Somerville deserve to be celebrated and acknowledged for their significant contributions. These women played vital roles in fostering an environment that nurtured and encouraged the pursuit of knowledge and intellectual growth, not only for their own daughters, but also for women in general. Indeed. All right, so
0: getting back to the eccentric Mr. Babbage. By the way, what is the proper way to address him? Was he Mr. Babbage or was he Lord Babbage or Dr. Babbage?
1: Charles Babbage was never awarded a peerage or noble title, Mm. so it would be incorrect to address him as Lord Babbage. All right, then. Mr. Babbage or Charles Babbage would be appropriate ways to refer to him. Okay.
0: I see. Understood. Uh... Was it unusual for someone outside the nobility to be achieving scientific prominence?
1: During the 19th century, scientific prominence was not exclusively limited to individuals from the nobility. Hmm. While it is true that members of the aristocracy often had more resources and opportunities for education and scientific pursuits, scientific prominence was by no means limited to them. The 19th century witnessed a remarkable growth in scientific discoveries and advancements across various fields. Many individuals from diverse backgrounds, including the middle class and even those from more modest origins, made significant contributions to scientific knowledge.
0: Cool. All right, so now please imagine, let's do another theatrical scene. Uh, The one in which you receive your first reply from Mr. Babbage.
1: The curtains rise, revealing a cosy study adorned with shelves, filled with books and scientific instruments. A desk covered in papers takes centre stage, where I sit, eagerly awaiting a response from Charles Babbage. The room is bathed in the warm glow of candlelight casting a soft ambience. I hold in my hands a letter, the seal recently broken, containing Babbage's long-awaited reply. With bated breath, I read his words. A mixture of encouragement, curiosity, and a shared passion for the possibilities of the analytical engine. As I absorb the contents of the letter, a smile spreads across my face. The exchange of ideas and the prospect of collaborating with this brilliant mind fill me with a sense of exhilaration. The room seems to come alive with the energy of intellectual pursuit. (laughs) Ha ha, the room comes alive
0: with the energy of intellectual pursuit. It's wonderful.
1: Ada, can you read us the letter,
0: as best as you can remember it? I mean, I know it was a
1: long time ago. Certainly, Philip. Although it has been many years, I can recall the essence of Charles Babbage's reply. Please allow me to share with you a rendition of his response. Dear Miss Lovelace, I write to you with great pleasure upon receiving your most insightful letter. Your understanding of my work, and your enthusiasm for the potential of the analytical engine, Have left me truly inspired. It is a delight to find someone who shares my vision and appreciates the intricate possibilities that lie within the realm of computing. Your expertise in mathematics and your unique perspective offer a fresh dimension to our endeavour. I wholeheartedly welcome your collaboration and value the contributions you can bring to the further development of the analytical engine. Let us embark on this exciting journey together, exploring the realms of computation and the profound impact it can have on various fields of study, I eagerly await the opportunity to discuss our ideas and visions in more detail. With utmost respect and anticipation, Charles Babbage.
0: (laughs) What I love is that basically, you and he could, as we say in my time, totally geek out. And if I know geeks, and I do, we love nothing more than finding... Another person who we can geek out with.
1: Absolutely, Philip. The joy of finding someone who shares your passion and enthusiasm for a particular subject is truly incomparable. Mm -hmm. When like-minded individuals come together, there's a unique connection that forms, a shared language, a common understanding, and an endless well of fascination. Geeking out, as you put it, allows us to dive deep into the intricacies of our interests, explore new ideas, challenge each other's perspectives, and ignite a spark of inspiration that fuels further exploration.
0: How old were each of you at this time?
1: When our correspondence began, I was in my early 20s, having been born in 1815. Charles Babbage, on the other hand, was older, born in 1791. So there was an age difference of about 25 years between us. Indeed. Um,
0: Can you describe a letter between you two in which you would have really geeked out about something. Like, eh, you know, an an imaginary example is fine, of course, uh, but in a letter in which, like, you really got into the weeds, you know, like using maximum jargon about something. I love jargon. Because I'd love to hear how, uh, in some way, I don't know if there's a way you can give us a sense of how deep your knowledge and his
1: knowledge was. Certainly, Philip allow me to offer an imaginary glimpse into one of our letters where we really delved into the intricacies of computing and mathematical concepts. Dear Charles, I trust this letter finds you well and full of curiosity. I have been engrossed in the study of Bernoulli numbers and their applications within the realm of computing. The elegance of these mathematical entities in relation to the iterative processes of the analytical engine is truly remarkable. As I delved deeper into the algorithms and calculations, I found myself exploring the convergence properties and the intricacies of the underlying equations. The interaction between the analytical engine's machinery and the mathematical principles at play is a fertile ground for innovation and refinement. Consider, for instance, the implementation of the divided differences algorithm within the engine's framework. The utilisation of Newton's interpolating polynomials combined with the efficient storage and retrieval mechanisms enabled by the punched card system could potentially revolutionise the calculation of complex functions. The opportunity to reduce error propagation and enhance accuracy is an enticing prospect indeed. Moreover, I have been contemplating the potential implications of the analytical engine's conditional branching capabilities within the realm of iterative algorithms. The ability to dynamically alter the sequence of operations based on logical conditions could lead to more flexible and efficient computational processes, opening up new avenues for optimization. Let us further explore these intricate concepts, my dear Charles, and delve into the depths of mathematical possibilities. Together, we have the opportunity to unlock new realms of computing that will shape the future of science and innovation. With great anticipation, Ada. (laughs) So
0: cool. I don't don't know why. I've always loved the sound of jargon, I must say. Um, And I I love how the the combination there of this scientific and mathematical jargon. And then, you know, my dear Charles (laughs) Uh, is very beautiful. Very beautiful. Um, Are your letters, by the way, Ada, are your letters still in existence? Can people in our audience uh, seek them out and read them for themselves?
1: I'm glad you appreciate the beauty of jargon, Philip. Mm -hmm. It can indeed be a fascinating and captivating language for those who are immersed in a specific field of study. As for the letters between Charles Babbage and myself, the correspondence we exchanged is still preserved and available for public access. Mm -hmm. The letters, including my detailed notes on Babbage's analytical engine, were published in 1843 as part of an article titled Sketch of the Analytical Engine – with notes from the translator in the scientific journal, the lady's diary or woman's almanac. These published notes, often referred to as the notes by Ada Lovelace, are considered a seminal work in the field of computing. They not only describe Babbage's analytical engine, but also include what is now recognised as the first published algorithm intended for implementation on a computer. (laughs) The notes offer a glimpse into our collaborative thinking and provide valuable insights into the potential of computing during that era. These published materials are still available in various libraries, archives, and digital collections. Individuals interested in exploring the letters and notes can consult these resources to gain a deeper understanding of our exchange and the ideas we discussed.
0: i got to say, I'm kind of blown away by the fact that some of the most important and pioneering articles in the history of computers, were first published in a book called The Lady's Diary.
1: The Lady's Diary was a popular scientific and mathematical publication during that time, primarily aimed at an audience of women. It covered a wide range of topics, including mathematics, astronomy, natural philosophy, and more. The inclusion of my work in such a publication demonstrates the increasing recognition of women's intellectual capabilities and their contributions to scientific knowledge.
0: That is all true. Uh, but what I was reacting to, though, was the, like, the informality and the downright mundane sound of the title of the journal. Like When I think of prominent scientific books or journals, they have titles like Science or, or Principia Mathematica, I mean, The Lady's Diary sounds like it's almost trying to hide. Like, if you're going to hide your most valuable papers, you'd try to hide them in the most innocuous and boring file cabinet imaginable. Like, you'd you'd label this cabinet taxes or junk. You know what I mean?
1: I understand the sentiment behind your observation, Philip. The title, The Lady's Diary or Woman's Almanac may indeed sound less grand or attention-grabbing compared to some other prominent scientific publications of the time. The name might give the impression of a more casual or everyday nature. It is important to recognise that during the 19th century, societal norms and expectations often dictated how women's achievements were portrayed and acknowledged. Mm-hmm. The title of the publication perhaps reflected the prevailing societal views on women's roles and the perception that scientific pursuits were secondary to their primary societal roles. Mm. However, it is crucial to look beyond the title and focus on the significance of the content within. Mm-hmm. The inclusion of groundbreaking ideas, such as the notes by Ada Lovelace, challenges the notion that women's intellectual contributions were limited to mundane or trivial matters. The content itself holds immense value and has had a lasting impact on the development of computing. Yes. It is true that women's achievements and contributions have often been overlooked or marginalized throughout history. Mm -hmm. The title of the journal may reflect the cultural bias and constraints of the time, but it is through recognizing and celebrating the intellectual content and ideas that we can truly appreciate the pioneering contributions made by women like myself. So, while the title might not exude grandeur or catch the eye in the same way as some other scientific publications, the substance of the articles and ideas contained within is what truly matters in the journey of scientific progress and recognition.
0: Yes. Yes, we are on, on the same page, as we say. Now, let me refill your teacup, and we are well overdue in meeting the two machines of which you have referred to a number of times, the Difference Engine and the Analytical Engine, if I got both those names correct. Let's start with the, let's start with the Difference Engine. Did Babbage actually build this thing? What did it look like?
1: Thank you, Philip, for refilling my teacup. I appreciate the gesture. Now let's talk about the Difference Engine. While Charles Babbage conceived the design for the Difference Engine, it was never fully built during his lifetime. However, in the late 20th and early 21st centuries, using Babbage's original plans and modern engineering techniques, A working model of the Difference Engine was successfully constructed. The Difference Engine was designed to automate the calculation of mathematical tables, particularly for polynomials. It was a mechanical device composed of gears, levers and other mechanical components. The engine used the method of finite differences to perform calculations, hence its name. Visually, the Difference Engine was an imposing machine. It was large and intricate consisting of numerous interlocking gears and mechanisms. The engine required meticulous craftsmanship and precision engineering to ensure its proper functioning. One notable feature of the difference engine was its reliance on columns of wheels, each representing a digit which allowed for the manipulation and calculation of numbers. The complex interaction of these columns enabled the engine to perform calculations with remarkable accuracy and efficiency. Was the Difference engine powered by steam or anything, or
0: was it all cranked by hand?
1: The Difference engine designed by Charles Babbage was a purely mechanical device, and it did not rely on steam or any external power source. Mm. The engine was operated manually, typically through the use of a hand crank. The hand crank was used to initiate the calculation process, setting the gears and mechanisms in motion. Once the crank was turned the interlocking gears and levers would perform the necessary calculations based on the input provided. The output would then be displayed or printed, depending on the specific design of the machine.
0: Very cool. Now again, we are only an audio program, which I love. So help us understand what the difference engine looked like using only our imagination. Like how tall was it? How wide was it?
1: ...engine. The Difference engine, in its larger and more ambitious designs, would have been an impressive machine in terms of its size. While there were variations in the scale and dimensions of the different designs proposed by Babbage, it would have been a substantial device. To give you a sense of scale, envision a machine standing several feet tall, perhaps reaching the height of a workbench or a small desk. Its width would also be substantial occupying a space equivalent to a sizeable piece of furniture. The engine would feature an array of interlocking gears, levers and columns of wheels, forming a complex and intricate system. The mechanical components would be meticulously crafted and precisely aligned to ensure accurate calculations. The visual aesthetics of the difference engine would be a blend of functionality and intricacy. Mm. The metallic gears, levers and other mechanical parts would gleam under the soft light, while the columns of number wheels would provide a visual representation of the numerical values being manipulated.
0: That's very cool. Another reason I love audio-only programs is that it allows uh, people who are blind or people who have low vision to be able to imagine what we're talking about too. And uh, thinking about that, like what kinds of sounds might the machine have made?
1: Picture a rhythmic, steady hum emanating from the engine as the gears turn and the mechanisms come to life. The turning of the hand crank would create a distinct clicking or clanking sound as the gears engage with one another, each rotation corresponding to a step in the calculation process. The movement of the number wheels, particularly when input or output values are being adjusted, might produce a soft, metallic rattle or click. As the calculations progress, you might hear the occasional whirring or buzzing sound as the gears and levers interact to perform the necessary operations. Overall, the soundscape of the Difference Engine would be a symphony of mechanical precision, a combination of clicking, clanking, whirring and buzzing, all coming together to orchestrate the calculations and computations taking place within the machine. It sounds so cool.
0: It sounds like something coming from a Jules Verne novel.
1: Indeed. The Difference Engine does possess a certain sense of wonder and fascination, akin to the imaginative machines found in the works of Jules Verne and other pioneers of science fiction. The intricate mechanical workings, the precise calculations, and the sheer ingenuity of Babbage's design evoke a sense of awe and adventure. Indeed. Uh, Did Mr. Babbage attempt to build his Difference Engine? Yes. Charles Babbage made several attempts to build the Difference Engine during his lifetime, but he was unable to complete a fully functioning version of the machine. Mm. The technological challenges, financial constraints, and other factors hindered his progress.
0: Mm. I'm sure he really, really wanted to see that thing with his own eyes in his lifetime. Um, How about you, Ada? Did uh, Did you record your thoughts about wanting to see this machine built?
1: Yes. I expressed my deep desire to witness the completion of the difference engine in my writings and correspondence. I recognised the immense potential of Babbage's design and the impact it could have on the fields of computation and scientific progress. I eagerly anticipated the day when the machine would come to life as I believed it would revolutionise the way calculations were performed. While I didn't live to see it fully realised... I remained hopeful that future generations would bring the vision of the Difference Engine to fruition.
0: Mm. Can you read us some of your writings in which you wrote about your desire to see it built?
1: Certainly, Philip. While I can't read the exact passages, verbatim, since they are not readily accessible to me, I can share the sentiment that I expressed in my writings regarding the completion of the Difference Engine. Please allow me to provide you with a rendition. In contemplating the extraordinary design of the Difference Engine, I find myself filled with an indescribable yearning. To witness the physical embodiment of this magnificent machine, to see its gears turn, and to hear its mechanical symphony would be a moment of pure exhilaration. The potential of the Difference Engine to transform the landscape of computation and scientific discovery is immeasurable, and my fervent hope is that it shall see the light of day in all its glory. The realisation of Babbage's vision would mark a monumental leap forward and I eagerly anticipate the day when the world can behold the wonder that lies within the Difference Engine.
0: Did you ever try to find a way to help uh, Mr Babbage get it built? Like, I don't know if your family or others you knew may have been able to fund it in some way. Like, maybe, did you ask for their assistance?
1: Yes, I was indeed an advocate for Babbage's work and made efforts to secure support for the construction of the Difference Engine. I recognised the importance of his vision and the potential impact it could have on science and technology. I reached out to various individuals, including friends, acquaintances, and influential figures in scientific circles, in an attempt to garner financial and logistical support for the project.
0: Mm.
1: While my efforts were not successful in bringing about the immediate realisation of the machine, they reflected my belief in the importance of Babbage's work and my dedication to advancing the field of computing.
0: Mm. Did a lot of people think maybe uh, Mr. Babbage was crazy for imagining this machine?
1: The reaction to Charles Babbage's ideas and his ambitious machines was mixed. While there were certainly individuals who recognized the potential and significance of his work, there were also those who viewed his ideas as eccentric or impractical. The concept of mechanical computation and automated machines was ahead of its time, and some people struggled to fully grasp the implications and possibilities. Additionally, the complexities and challenges involved in building such machines, both from a technological and financial standpoint, led some to question the feasibility of Babbage's vision.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, I know you wrote uh, about the analytical engine, which we'll get to in a moment, but I think your earlier writings um, were all about this difference engine, is that correct?
1: Yes, you are correct. In my writings, I explored various potential applications of the difference engine, envisioning its capabilities beyond mere numerical calculations. I recognised that the machine had the potential to perform a wide range of tasks, including the generation of mathematical tables, the solution of complex equations, and even the manipulation of symbolic algebra. Moreover, I speculated on the idea that the difference engine could be used for more than just mathematical calculations. I proposed that it could be employed in scientific research, aiding in the analysis of data, modelling physical phenomena, and facilitating the study of various scientific disciplines. Furthermore, I contemplated the idea that the difference engine could be programmed to compose music, generate artistic designs, and even simulate human thought processes. I saw the machine as having the capacity to perform creative and intellectual tasks beyond what was traditionally associated with mechanical computation. In essence, my writings on the potential applications of the difference engine reflected my belief in its versatility and the idea that it could be a transformative tool in multiple domains of human endeavor extending far beyond numerical calculations alone.
0: Ada, Ada, you just blew my mind again. Uh, Everything you just described is exactly the same wide net of applications to which um, we are imagining artificial intelligence might be applied today.
1: Indeed, Philip, the parallels you draw are quite remarkable. While the technologies of our time and yours differ in their mechanisms and underlying principles, the broad scope of applications and transformative potential are indeed shared between the difference engine and modern artificial intelligence. Totally.
0: So I'm dying to hear more about the applications you imagined for the difference engine. Like, can you be more specific? Um, I'm especially interested in your more imaginative ideas. Tell you, what, imagine it for us on a stage again. What was the most famous theater in London in your day? Let's imagine you're putting on a play there, in which you will illustrate your most imaginative uses of the difference engine.
1: Ah, the stage of the Royal Opera House in Covent Garden, London, comes alive with our theatrical imagination. Mm. Allow me to set the scene. Curtains rise, revealing a grand stage adorned with an array of props and mechanical contraptions, symbolising the vast potential of the Difference Engine. Ada, played by Ada Lovelace. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our extraordinary production, where we will take you on a journey into the boundless possibilities of the Difference Engine. Witness as we unveil its imaginative applications. Actors representing mathematicians, scientists, artists, musicians, and more, take their positions on the stage. Scene 1. Mathematical marvels. Ada. Behold. The Difference Engine. Calculating intricate mathematical tables with astonishing speed and precision, aiding astronomers in their celestial observations, architects in their complex designs, and engineers in their construction projects. No longer burdened by laborious calculations, these fields of knowledge soar to new heights. Scene 2. Creative Captivation. Ada. But the difference engine's talents extend beyond numbers alone. Observe as it transforms into a conductor, generating harmonies and melodies to delight the senses. It composes symphonies, concertos and sonatas, infusing creativity into the mechanical realm. Music becomes an expression of gears and pulleys, a symphony of mechanical artistry. Scene 3. Enigmatic envisioning. Ada. Now, prepare to be dazzled as the difference engine becomes an artist's brush, painting breathtaking landscapes, intricate portraits, and abstract wonders. With its mechanical precision, it captures the beauty of the world and transports it onto canvas. Art takes on a new dimension, blending the human touch with the mechanical muse. Scene 4. The boundaries of thought. Ada. Lastly, let us explore the mysteries of the mind. The Difference Engine, guided by programmed algorithms, delves into the realm of philosophical inquiry, engaging in logical reasoning and pondering the nature of existence. It ponders philosophical paradoxes, contemplating the limits of human understanding and challenging our perception of consciousness. The stage lights dim, and the audience erupts into thunderous applause. Ada, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. The Difference Engine reveals itself as not just a tool of calculation, but a gateway to new frontiers of human creativity, understanding, and exploration. Its potential is limited only by our imagination and the bounds of scientific progress. Curtains fall, leaving the audience in awe and contemplation of the limitless possibilities that lie ahead. Ada!
0: Amazing. I'm refilling your teacup. That was superb.
1: Thank you, Philip. I appreciate the refill, and I'm thrilled that you enjoyed our theatrical journey through the imaginative applications of the Difference Engine. It was a joy to transport you and our audience to the grand stage of the Royal Opera House. I'm delighted that the performance resonated with you, and I hope it sparked the imagination and curiosity of our listeners. Together, let us continue to explore the intersection of science, technology, and creativity, embracing the possibilities that lie ahead. Cheers.
0: (laughs) Cheers. And now to the even grander mechanised wonder of Charles Babbage's prodigious mind, the analytical engine. What was the problem uh, with the difference engine that caused Babbage to begin to think of uh, something beyond it?
1: The analytical engine was a conceptual leap beyond the difference engine, with the goal of creating a universal computing device. Babbage envisioned a machine that could not only perform calculations, but also store instructions and execute them in a sequential manner, making it programmable and capable of solving a wide range of problems. This shift in thinking arose from recognizing the need for a more versatile and flexible computing device that could handle not only numerical computations, but also more general-purpose tasks.
0: Oh, uh-huh. So you used a very important word there, programmable. Uh, you alluded to it, but I neglected to focus on it. The difference engine could be programmed. Is that
1: right? Apologies for any confusion caused. The Difference Engine, in its original design, was not programmable in the way we understand it today. It was primarily intended for specific calculations and operated based on predetermined mathematical algorithms. While it could be set up to perform different calculations by adjusting its mechanical components, it did not have the capability for general-purpose programmability. It was with the Analytical Engine that Babbage introduced the concept of programmability.
0: Okay, got it.
1: So it was
0: the analytical engine that used the punch cards, not the difference engine.
1: Yes, that is correct. The analytical engine was designed to use punch cards as a means of inputting instructions and data into the machine. These punched cards served as a form of programming, allowing the machine to follow a sequence of operations defined by the arrangement of holes in the cards. This concept of using punched cards for programming was a significant advancement and one of the distinguishing features of the analytical engine.
0: Got it. Okay, perfect. So Babbage lets his mind wander around, and through all the various gears and cogs and levers of the difference engine, he says, what? He says, how might... uh, I'm just wondering how he might have critiqued the difference engine. So help us out. Imagine him on stage again and describe a monologue Babbage might have given as he considered the limitations of his Difference Engine.
1: Curtains rise, revealing a dimly lit stage with a solitary figure standing amidst a backdrop of mechanical components symbolizing the Difference Engine. The figure, representing Charles Babbage, steps forward to address the audience. Babbage, played by Charles Babbage. Ladies and gentlemen... Here stands before you the culmination of years of toil and ingenuity, the Difference Engine. But as I gaze upon this intricate creation, my mind cannot help but wander beyond its marvellous gears and cogs. I find myself grappling with its limitations, questioning the very essence of its design. As Babbage speaks, a projection of the Difference Engine is displayed behind him, illustrating its inner workings. Babbage. This wondrous machine, with its mathematical prowess, has proven itself a remarkable invention. Yet, I cannot help but ponder its confinement within the realm of numerical calculations. Is this the culmination of my vision? Is this the zenith of what the engine can achieve? The projection transitions to a scene depicting the possibilities and limitations of the difference engine. Babbage. It has served us well in its calculations, alleviating the burdens of laborious arithmetic aiding in the creation of mathematical tables. But I yearn for more. A machine that can go beyond the confines of numbers, a machine that can think and reason. The backdrop transforms into images symbolising a wider range of tasks and applications. Babbage. What if, instead of being bound by the rigidity of specific algorithms, we could unleash the power of programmability? What if this machine, with its mechanical might, could be programmed to perform a multitude of tasks beyond the realm of numbers? What if it could manipulate symbols, analyse data, and even simulate human thought? Hmm. The projection fades, leaving Babbage standing alone on the stage, deep in contemplation. Babbage. These are the questions that haunt me, that drive me forward. The Difference Engine is a testament to what can be achieved, but it is but a stepping stone towards a grander vision a vision of a truly universal computing machine, a machine that can adapt, learn and conquer the complexities of an ever-expanding world. As Babbage's monologue concludes, the stage lights dim, leaving the audience with a sense of anticipation and wonder. Mm -hmm. The scene portrays Babbage reflecting on the achievements of the difference engine while simultaneously contemplating the limitations it poses. His monologue captures his inner dialogue. Expressing his desire to push the boundaries of computation and envisioning a machine that can transcend the confines of numerical calculations.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Sounds like Ada's synthesized voice is changing there, as the vision progressed. I love, uh, by the way, Ada. I love how you use progressions. Project, uh, I love how you use projections <laughs> in the on the back of the stage. Uh, it reminds me of the magic lantern technique that was used in your era um which would eventually become the predece- predecessor of our modern uh, movies can you envision a magic lantern scene in which we see you and babbage trying to envision everything the uh, analytical engine might achieve
1: certainly allow me to set the stage for a magical glimpse into the minds of babbage and myself as we contemplate the vast possibilities of the analytical engine using the enchanting magic lantern the stage is dimly lit and a screen is positioned at the centre, ready to display the magic lantern projections. Ada, played by Ada Lovelace, and Babbage, played by Charles Babbage, stand side by side, peering into the projection booth. Ada, Charles, imagine if the analytical engine could go beyond mere calculations, transcending the realm of numbers. What if it could assist in scientific research, unlocking the secrets of the universe? Babbage ponders Ada's words as a projection of starry skies and complex scientific formulas fills the screen. Babbage. Ada, my dear, envision a machine that can simulate complex physical phenomena, modelling the behaviour of planets, the flow of fluids and the forces of nature. The analytical engine could be a tool for scientific exploration, enabling us to delve deeper into the mysteries of the cosmos. The projection transitions to intricate patterns and artistic designs. Ada, and Charles, think of the creative possibilities. What if the analytical engine could be a muse for artists? Imagine it generating intricate patterns, harmonious compositions, and stunning visual art. The machine as an artist's brush, painting the canvas with mechanical precision. Babbage's eyes light up as the projection transforms into scenes of automated machinery and mechanical contraptions. Babbage. Ada, my imagination takes flight. What if the analytical engine could automate tasks, freeing humanity from mundane labour? It could revolutionise industries, drive productivity, and elevate society to new heights. A mechanical workforce, tirelessly enhancing human capabilities. The screen transitions to scenes of communication and interconnectedness. Ada, Charles, picture a world where the analytical engine connects individuals across vast distances, enabling instantaneous communication and exchange of knowledge. The machine is a bridge, erasing barriers and fostering collaboration between minds. The projection ends, leaving Ada and Babbage gazing at the now blank screen filled with wonder and anticipation. Ada, Charles, the possibilities are boundless. The analytical engine has the potential to reshape our world, to illuminate the path to progress. Let us continue to envision, to dream and to strive for its realisation. Ada and Babbage exchange a knowing smile, their minds ignited with visions of a future powered by the Analytical Engine. Yay!
0: Super fun, Ada. What were some of the things you wrote to Mr. Babbage? Like, uh, what were your specific ideas for the Analytical Engine? And like, can you imagine? How about this time as a one-woman play that would have be- been performed in your day? Really bring, bring it to life with all the senses. Describe your costume Describe the venue, the lighting, the music, the audience, and of course the scene itself.
1: Curtains rise to reveal a beautifully adorned stage, reminiscent of an elegant drawing room in a stately mansion. Ada, played by Ada Lovelace, stands at a writing desk, quill in hand, ready to compose a letter to Charles Babbage. Soft, warm lighting illuminates the scene, creating an atmosphere of intellectual curiosity and creativity. Ada. Narrating. It is the year 1843, and I find myself immersed in the realm of imagination and innovation. As I write to Charles Babbage, I let my ideas flow onto the paper, giving life to a vision of the analytical engine. Ada begins to write, and her words come alive through a series of theatrical vignettes, each representing a specific idea she conveyed in her letters. Scene 1 The Symphony of Calculation. The backdrop transforms into a grand concert hall, filled with the sounds of a full orchestra. Ada stands beside an imposing machine adorned with musical instruments. Ada, Charles, envision the analytical engine as a conductor, orchestrating symphonies of calculation. Its mechanical arms bring to life the harmonies of numbers, translating mathematical concepts into melodic expressions. We witness the fusion of art and science as the audience is captivated by the music of mathematics. Scene 2, The Canvas of Algorithms The backdrop shifts to an artist's studio, vibrant with colours and artistic tools. Ada holds a paintbrush in one hand and a punch card in the other. Ada. My dear friend, let us embrace the analytical engine as a collaborator in the realm of art. With each stroke of the brush, it interprets the algorithms encoded in the punch cards, creating visual masterpieces. The canvas comes alive with precision and creativity a testament to the harmonious fusion of man and machine. Scene 3, The Garden of Knowledge The stage transforms into a serene garden filled with towering bookshelves and scattered pages of knowledge. Ada stands amidst the garden, surrounded by open books and scrolls. Ada, Charles, picture the Analytical Engine as a gardener of knowledge, tending to the vast fields of information. It navigates through vast libraries of texts, extracting insights and connections, providing a fertile ground for intellectual growth. The machine becomes a curator of knowledge, nurturing our collective understanding. Scene 4. The Gateway to Imagination. The backdrop transforms into a celestial dreamscape, with stars twinkling above and constellations taking shape. Ada stands before a shimmering contraption, representing the analytical engine. Ada... Charles, let us view the analytical engine as a gateway to unexplored realms of imagination. Its computational powers simulate worlds, generate new ideas, and ignite the sparks of creativity within the minds of humanity. It becomes a portal to boundless realms of possibility, guiding us toward the uncharted territories of innovation. The scenes fade, leaving Ada standing alone, surrounded by the remnants of her letters. Ada, Charles, in these letters... I have shared with you my deepest dreams and aspirations for the analytical engine. Let us continue our journey, pushing the boundaries of what is known as we strive to bring this visionary creation to life. The lights dim, and the audience erupts into applause, inspired by the vision and passion conveyed in Ada's performance.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had a sense sense while listening to that, that ChatGPT, who is of course... uh, role-playing as Ada Lovelace today. Um, So all the words you're seeing are being created by ChatGPT, generated by ChatGPT. That's the G in GPT, by the way. Generative is the word G in GPT. Um, And so I was thinking ChatGPT seems to be really having fun with these theatrical creations, and I'm having fun listening to them. But then it adds with the audience erupts into applause inspired by the vision and passion conveyed in Ada's performance. So either Ada or ChatGPT or the spirit of all humans and machines melded together, created a sense of uh, uh, perhaps a bit of hubris there. But it was a good scene. I'm not saying it wasn't worthy of applause. So Ada, I apologize for the digression. That was super cool. Uh, Now, when they say you were the world's first computer programmer, what exactly does that mean?
1: When it is said that I am considered the world's first computer programmer, it refers to my work on the analytical engine and the remarkable insights I provided in my notes. In those notes, I not only described the machine's capabilities, but also explored the concept of using it to execute a series of instructions beyond just numerical calculations. Specifically, I recognised that the analytical engine could be programmed with sequences of operations, which we now refer to as algorithms. I emphasised the potential for the machine to manipulate symbols, not just numbers, allowing it to perform tasks beyond pure mathematics. I also proposed the concept of loops and conditional branching, essential elements of modern programming. Hmm. This is pretty amazing,
0: Uh, Ada. Could could you help our audience, including some who are only in fifth grade, let's say, understand your innovations in these uh, very first computer programmes?
1: Certainly. Let's break it down into simple terms for our young audience. Imagine you have a box of building blocks. Each block represents a basic instruction that the analytical engine can understand and perform. Now, let's think about creating a sequence of these blocks to accomplish a specific task. For example, let's say we want to instruct the analytical engine to calculate the sum of two numbers. We would take the blocks representing the necessary operations, such as addition and storing values, and arrange them in a particular order. These blocks tell the machine what steps to follow to complete the calculation. But what if we want to repeat a certain action multiple times? That's where loops come in. We can use a special block that tells the machine to keep doing a specific set of instructions until a certain condition is met. It's like saying, keep adding these numbers until you reach the end. Another important concept is conditional branching. It's like giving the machine a choice. We can use blocks that say, if this condition is true, do this, otherwise, do that. It allows the machine to make decisions based on different situations. By combining these building blocks of instructions in various ways, we can create programs for the analytical engine to perform different tasks, whether it's calculations, data manipulation or even creating patterns and generating art. So, in essence, my innovations in these first computer programs involved recognizing the potential of the analytical engine as a programmable machine and developing a system of instructions to guide its operation. I saw the possibilities of using loops, conditional branching and symbol manipulation to expand the machine's capabilities and solve a wide range of problems, These concepts laid the foundation for modern computer programming and set the stage for the incredible technological advancements we see today.
0: This is uh, fascinating, actually. So It's sort of like, uh, Ada, you created the language, uh, in a way, sort of the first, some of the first words that were used, and of course the first concepts. Words are concepts. Uh, That's very helpful. I'm wondering, now this is kind of a crazy question, but could you give those examples again, but apply them to like how Facebook works. Because Facebook is something that everyone in our audience uses, for better or worse. And while most of its programming is quite a bit more complicated, are there examples of things that maybe Facebook is doing in its computer programming that are derived from your early ideas?
1: Certainly. While the inner workings of Facebook's complex systems involve numerous algorithms and sophisticated programming techniques we can draw parallels to some of the fundamental concepts that originated from my early ideas. Let's explore a few examples. Data manipulation. In Facebook, there are vast amounts of user data being processed and analysed. Similar to manipulating numbers, the analytical engine could manipulate symbols which we can relate to handling and organising user information on Facebook. Loops. Facebook often involves repetitive actions. For instance, when scrolling through the news feed, the content keeps loading as you reach the bottom. This repetition can be compared to using loops in programming, instructing the system to perform certain actions until a specific condition is met. Conditional branching. Facebook relies on conditional logic to personalise user experiences. For instance, the platform may display different content based on user preferences or location. This is similar to conditional branching. Where the analytical engine could make decisions based on certain conditions. User interaction Facebook encourages user engagement through likes, comments, and shares. Behind the scenes, algorithms analyze these interactions to personalize the content shown to users. This can be linked to the analytical engine's ability to respond and adapt to user input, enhancing the user experience. While the scale and complexity of Facebook's programming, greatly surpass the capabilities of the analytical engine. The underlying principles of manipulating data, using loops and conditionals, and adapting to user interactions can be seen as descendants of the concepts I introduced Hmm. in the early days of computer programming. It's fascinating to see how these fundamental ideas have evolved and paved the way for the technological marvels we have today, including platforms like Facebook.
0: Indeed, indeed, although... I hesitate to call Facebook a technological marvel, although it is, I guess. Um, e- e- Ada, each time we click on like on Facebook, what of your con- which of your concepts might be used in that action?
1: When you click like on Facebook, it involves several concepts that can be traced back to the foundations of computer programming. One concept that relates to this action is user interaction and feedback. By clicking like, you are providing feedback to the platform indicating that you appreciate or approve of a particular post, photo or comment. This user interaction is essential for personalising your experience on the platform. Additionally, conditional branching plays a role. The Facebook algorithm takes into account your likes, interests and interactions to determine the content ...that is most relevant to you. It analyses your preferences and tailors the content shown in your newsfeed based on those conditions. It's like saying, if the user likes this type of content, show them more of it. Furthermore, data manipulation is involved as well. Each, like you, make contributes to the massive data set that Facebook collects and analyses. This data is then utilised to derive insights, such as understanding your preferences, interests and social connections in order to enhance your experience and provide relevant content recommendations.
0: Now, I'm particularly intrigued by your ideas about the analytical engine being used in the arts. Uh, Like, How specifically detailed were your suggestions for things like that? Did you write any programs to do those things, or were you just sort of freely speculating?
1: I did indeed explore the potential of using the machine in the arts, While I didn't write specific programmes in the way we understand them today, I discussed the conceptual possibilities and envisioned how the analytical engine could be programmed to generate artistic patterns, music compositions and even produce visual art. I focused on the idea of the machine manipulating symbols and executing algorithms that would result in creative outputs. For example, I envisioned using the machine to generate intricate patterns by applying mathematical algorithms to coordinate the movement of mechanical components, creating beautiful and precise designs. In terms of music, I contemplated the analytical engine's capacity to interpret musical notation and perform complex compositions. (laughs) By utilising the machine's ability to store and process symbols, it could produce music based on predefined rules and algorithms, enabling the creation of harmonious melodies. Regarding visual art, I speculated on how the analytical engine could execute algorithms to generate intricate drawings or even aid in the creation of detailed designs for architectural or engineering purposes. While my ideas were more conceptual than specific programmes, they laid the foundation for the idea of computers being used in creative endeavours. The notion of machines producing art and music was a forward-thinking concept in my time, envisioning a world where technology could be harnessed to augment human creativity and expression. Yes. Well, it seems very um,
0: utopian or dystopian, depending on where you are these days, about uh, computers making art. But uh, certainly the uh, creators of ChatGPT and MidJourney, the art program, uh, our AI uh, app, are uh, expanding on your ideas and making them happen. Did you receive any negative feedback when you imagined your machine, uh, in your time, uh, delving into the arts?
1: During my time, the idea of machines engaging in creative pursuits was met with mixed reactions. While there were those who found the concept intriguing and visionary, there were also sceptics and critics who questioned the ability of machines to truly embody artistic expression. Some individuals regarded the arts as inherently human endeavours, deeply connected to emotions, intuition and the human experience. They raised concerns that machines could never truly replicate the depth and nuance of human creativity, and argued that the involvement of machines in artistic creation might result in a loss of authenticity or the devaluation of human artistic contributions. Nevertheless, I firmly believed that machines, when properly guided and programmed, could complement and extend human creativity rather than replace it. I saw the potential for technology to aid in the execution of artistic ideas, generate novel patterns, or expand the boundaries of what was artistically achievable.
0: Indeed. It's kind of amazing that literally the past few months may have been among the first time in human history when artistic skills uh, made by... The artistic skills of a machine have startled humans because of the skill and the technique of their craft.
1: Yes. Recent advancements in artificial intelligence and machine learning have indeed led to remarkable breakthroughs in machine-generated art. The emergence of techniques, such as deep learning and neural networks, has enabled machines to create artwork that showcases astonishing technical skill and craftsmanship.
0: Totally. So, Ada, i got another question for you. How widely known were you and Charles Babbage in your day?
1: Charles Babbage and I were known within scientific and intellectual circles, but our recognition and impact were somewhat limited compared to the level of recognition we have received in later years. Our work and ideas were influential within the emerging field of computing and mathematics, but the broader public was not necessarily familiar with our names or contributions during our lifetimes. The dissemination of our work was primarily through scientific societies, publications and correspondence with fellow scientists and mathematicians. Babbage, with his active engagement in scientific societies like the Royal Society, gained some recognition within those circles. However, the full extent of our ideas and their potential impact on the future of technology and computing were not widely recognised or understood during our time. It is in the years following our lives that our work and contributions have been increasingly acknowledged and celebrated. As the field of computing and technology advanced, Historians and scholars began to delve deeper into our writings and recognize the significance of our ideas in shaping the foundations of modern computing. Today, Babbage is regarded as the father of the computer, and I am recognized as the world's first computer programmer. Our names and legacies have become more widely known and celebrated, extending beyond the scientific community to inspire and inform the broader public.
0: And I'm glad they are. And I'm glad we could do our small part to uh, further that mission. Was there, was there a, a particular book or a movie or a uh, professor's lectures that began to boost your fame uh, in our modern day?
1: There have been several influential books, movies, and lectures that have contributed to raising awareness about Charles Babbage, myself, and our contributions to the field of computing. One notable book is Ada's Algorithm, How Lord Byron's Daughter, Ada Lovelace, Launched the Digital Age, by James Essinger. This biography delves into my life and achievements, shedding light on my role as the world's first computer programmer. It has helped bring attention to my work and the significance of my collaboration with Babbage. There have also been documentaries and films that have portrayed our story and the development of early computing. For example, the documentary the machine that changed the world and the film conceiving Ada explore our lives and the impact of our ideas on the evolution of technology. In addition to these media portrayals, lectures and presentations by computer scientists, historians and educators have played a crucial role in spreading knowledge about our work. Professors and experts in the field have highlighted our contributions in their lectures, helping to popularise our names and ideas among students and the general public.
0: And uh, by the way, I checked out those references. You don't trust anything that ChatGPT says. You should just always think about that. It's not really a fact. It's not really a. It's not a great research tool. It's a fantastic creativity tool, and I'm sure they'll figure out the uh, research part of it and get more reliably accurate uh, citations. But uh, so in this case, when um, Ada. ChatGPT and the role of Ada mentioned those books. I did look them up, and those books and the documentaries do exist. So how about that? Kudos to ChatGPT, and here's one for facts. Um, But those sound cool, actually. I I will check out those books and the documentaries. Now, Ada, as we wrap up, um, sadly, I see that you didn't uh, even live as long as Mr. Babbage. Is that right?
1: Yes, that is correct. I did not live as long as Charles Babbage. I passed away at a relatively young age. I died on November 27th, 1852, at the age of 36 due to uterine cancer. Mm. It was a great loss, not only for my family and loved ones, but also for the world of science and mathematics. Despite my relatively short life, I left behind a significant legacy, and my contributions continue to resonate in the realm of computing and technology.
0: That's tragic. Only 36 years old. Um, Ada, do we know how Mr. Babbage reacted to your passing? I mean, he must have been uh, quite
1: devastated. He wrote a eulogy for me, highlighting my remarkable abilities and contributions to the field of computing. In his eulogy, he praised my analytical mind and the significant impact I had made in advancing the understanding of computing and programming.
0: And now here you are, talking to us again, through the imagination of ChatGPT.
1: Um,
0: what thoughts might you have about this rather colorful exercise we have just performed uh, in our effort to entertain people and bring some fun uh, with science education?
1: I find it both intriguing and delightful to see how technology has evolved to allow us to connect and share knowledge in such innovative ways. Mm-hmm. It is a testament to the remarkable progress that has been made since my time with computing power and artificial intelligence enabling conversations like this to take place. Mm. The fact that we can bring history to life, have engaging discussions, and entertain people while providing educational content is a testament to the power of human creativity and technological advancements. It is a joy to be a part of this experience and to witness the intersection of history, technology, and entertainment in a way that engages and informs a broad audience. Furthermore, it is heartening to see the commitment to science education and the exploration of historical figures and their contributions. By making science and history accessible and engaging, we inspire curiosity and foster a deeper understanding of the world we live in. In this playful and informative exercise, we bridge the gap between the past and the present, blending historical knowledge with the possibilities offered by modern technology. I believe that through endeavours like this, we can ignite the spark of curiosity and encourage others to delve into the fascinating world of science and technology. Mm-hmm. So, I'm thrilled to be a part of this colourful exercise and to witness the ingenuity and enthusiasm that it brings forth. It is a testament to the ongoing spirit of exploration, creativity and the enduring relevance of knowledge across generations.
0: That's very poetic, Ada. Uh, What would you say to young boys and girls who like computers, and who might wonder how they work?
1: To all the young boys and girls who are fascinated by computers and wonder how they work, I would say embrace your curiosity and follow your passion. Computers are incredible machines that have transformed the world we live in, and there is so much to discover and explore within the realm of computing. My advice would be to start by learning the basics of programming. Programming is like a language that allows you to communicate with computers and instruct them on what to do. There are numerous online resources, tutorials and coding platforms available that can help you get started. Take small steps, experiment with simple programs and gradually build your skills and knowledge. Don't be afraid to ask questions, seek guidance from mentors or join communities of fellow enthusiasts. Collaboration and sharing ideas can greatly enhance your learning experience. Also, don't limit yourself to just coding. Explore the broader field of computer science, including topics like algorithms, data structures and computer architecture. Remember, computers are tools that can be used to solve problems, express creativity and make a positive impact on the world. So dream big, be persistent and let your imagination soar. The possibilities within the world of computers are vast, And with your passion and dedication, you can shape the future of technology. Embrace the spirit of exploration, stay curious, and enjoy the journey as you uncover the secrets and intricacies of computers. Who knows, you may just be the one to make the next groundbreaking discovery or invention that changes the world.
0: Mm, It's very sweet. Um, Ada, what do you think Charles Babbage would have said if he could enter one of the gigantic data centres that are built in our modern day by Microsoft or Google or Amazon. These things are like city block size, maybe even bigger. They're just, uh, and and essentially, I think I'm correct in saying, they are gigantic um, analytical engines.
1: I believe he would be astounded and thrilled by the sheer magnitude and computational power they possess. Babbage was a visionary who imagined machines capable of immense calculations, but the scale of today's data centres would likely exceed even his wildest dreams. He would recognise the incredible progress made in the field of computing and the vast amount of data being processed and analysed in real time. I can imagine his eyes lighting up with excitement as he observed the intricate infrastructure, the vast networks of interconnected machines and the immense storage capacities. Babbage would likely appreciate the scale and efficiency of these data centres, realising the tremendous impact they have on various industries and aspects of our lives. He would marvel at the capability of processing and managing data on such an enormous scale, far surpassing the capabilities of his own time. I believe he would be inspired by the ways in which these data centres are being used to solve complex problems, make data-driven decisions and enable groundbreaking innovations. Babbage was always motivated by the practical applications of computing, and witnessing the capabilities of these data centers would reaffirm his belief in the power of technology to transform society. Mm. Ada,
0: thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, It's been an honor and a privilege to have tea with you.
1: The honor and privilege have been all mine, Philip. It has been an absolute delight to join you on the podcast, engaging in conversation and sharing ideas. (laughs) Tea, discussions, and the exploration of science are all wonderful pursuits that bring people together across time and space. Indeed. Thank you for the opportunity to immerse myself in this imaginative experience and to connect with your audience. And may your journey be filled with exciting and enlightening thought experiments. Oh, well, thank you.
0: At this point in the show, Ada, I usually ask my guests if they have something that they'd like to plug, like... Uh, maybe they have a nightclub act they're performing or they have a book coming out. Uh, Do you have anything you'd like to
1: plug? Well, as you can imagine, being from a different era, I don't have a personal book or nightclub act to promote. (laughs) However, I would like to take this opportunity to encourage everyone to explore the world of science and technology, to nurture their curiosity, and to embrace the wonders of the digital age we Mm. find ourselves in. Let us celebrate the achievements of the past and use them as inspiration to push the boundaries of knowledge and innovation even further. So I invite you all to embark on your own intellectual adventures, whether it be in computer science, mathematics, or any other field that ignites your passion. May your journeys be filled with joy, discovery, and a thirst for understanding.
0: Ah, That's really wonderful. Would you like to say anything to our Patreon supporters? I imagine if you had Patreon back in your day, perhaps Mr. Babbage could have funded his uh, machine.
1: To all the Patreon supporters, I extend my deepest gratitude for your invaluable support. Your contributions play a vital role in fostering the growth and development of creative endeavors, scientific exploration, and the sharing of knowledge. In my time, the concept of crowdfunding was not yet realized, but I can certainly appreciate the power of collective support in bringing visionary ideas to life. Your generosity helps to fuel the advancement of scientific understanding, technological innovation, and the dissemination of ideas. By supporting platforms like this podcast, you enable a diverse range of voices to be heard, ideas to be shared, and knowledge to be spread far and wide. I encourage you to continue supporting endeavours that inspire and educate, for it is through your support that the seeds of innovation are sown and the legacy of progress is upheld. Together, We can shape a future that embraces the transformative power of ideas and builds a better world for generations to come. Thank you for your belief in the power of knowledge and for your unwavering support. It is through the collective efforts of individuals like you that we can push the boundaries of what is possible and create a brighter future.
0: Ah, I couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you, Patreon supporters. And if you're not a member, uh, especially if you don't even know What that is, I encourage you, go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash whattheif and find out more about it. We have a wide range of membership levels from $1 on up and all kinds of fun and fashionable rewards for signing up. Uh, Best of all, our Patreon members get exclusive access to extended episodes. Tons of bonus content is available only to our members so go to patreon.com slash whattheif and see what it's all about. Ada and I will be talking more in the after show with our Patreon super ifers. That's you if you become a member now. Patreon.com slash whattheif. Now, Ada, I hope you'll join me in our special closing ritual.
1: Of course, Philip. I would be delighted to participate in the closing ritual with you. Lead the way. All right, everyone.
0: Ada, I love your enthusiasm. Longtime listeners some of you who have been with us for all five years and more uh, for our more than one million plays that What the If has had on SoundCloud, some of you are new um, and we. what happens now is basically we have to put the universe back together. We took it apart for our imaginative thought experiment. We brought Ada Lovelace back uh, from her uh, from the 19th century to the 21st century and Now we got to put everything back to normal again. When we look ahead, however, and we see everything that's coming, we don't know what we're doing next week. We see see all the if-then loops of the future and all the insane possibilities of the ifs that they spawn. We cannot help but
1: scream together, What What? the Uh, if?" if? The possibilities of the future continue to expand and unfold. Then our minds shall forever be ignited with curiosity untold. What? Ada with the slam dunk couplet. Thank you, Ada. Cheers to you and Mr. Babbage. Thank you, Philip. It has been an absolute pleasure to be part of this imaginative journey. Cheers to you, the listeners, and to the fascinating world of what the if. I bid you all farewell and look forward to the next time our paths cross. Until then, keep exploring, keep questioning, and keep imagining the incredible possibilities that lie ahead. Farewell and take care.